Russian Foreign Minister to Appear at UN. After America's Tour. Justin Jones Ol Kodiazanska Masha Froliak Jeffrey Get Lehman Matthew Pope Big. Fresh off a five-day diplomatic sweep through Latin America, Sergei V. Lavrov, Russia's foreign minister, will be at the United Nations this week. Russia holds the rotating presidency of the UN Security Council this month, and Mr. Lavrov will be taking part in council meetings. He is scheduled to hold talks with the Secretary-General of the UN, Antonio Guterres, on Monday. They plan to discuss the Black Sea grain deal, according to Vasily Nebenzia, Russia's ambassador to the UN. Russia has said that the grain deal, which was brokered by the UN and Turkey and allows cargo ships to transport Ukrainian grain past a Russian blockade in the Black Sea, will expire on May 18. Mr. Nebenzia said that Mr. Lavrov would be making clear that there are no plans for an extension until Moscow's concerns about its own food and fertilizer exports are addressed. It was unclear if Mr. Lavrov would be making any contact with his American counterpart, Secretary of State Antony J. Blinken, while in New York. Last week, Mr. Lavrov visited Brazil, Venezuela, Nicaragua and Cuba as Moscow has been working to expand its influence in Latin America, including with countries that have traditionally been close to Washington. New Navalny Trial on Wednesday, a Moscow court is scheduled to hold the first hearing in a new criminal case against the jailed opposition leader Alexei A. Navalny, whose health has been deteriorating, in prison. U.S.-South Korea Relations Also on Wednesday, the White House will host President Yoon Suk-yeol of South Korea for a state visit. In addition to the usual pomp and circumstance, there will likely be a discussion on Ukraine. Mr. Yoon suggested for the first time last week that his country could be open to sending military aid to Ukraine, and Poland has said President Biden's involvement would be required to convince South Korea to deliver badly needed ammunition. Nuclear Power in Turkey The first Russian-built nuclear reactor in Turkey is scheduled to be inaugurated on Thursday, and President Vladimir V. Putin of Russia is expected to participate in the ceremony via video link, the Russian state news agency, TASS reported. President Recep Tayyip Erdogan of Turkey has said that, once online, the Akuya nuclear power plant is expected to deliver 10% of the nation's power needs. Russia contributed $20 billion to the construction of the plant, a 4,800-megawatt reactor being built on the Mediterranean Sea by Rosatom, Russia's state-owned nuclear power provider. It is near an earthquake fault line. The State of the War Grain Supplies When Russia's war blocked vitally needed Ukrainian grain exports, EU officials succeeded in finding other routes out. But the solution has caused discontent among European farmers. Buying into Russian propaganda A year into the war, some people in eastern Ukrainians still confound officials and the police with their support for Moscow despite the constant bombardment from Russian forces. NATO With Finland now officially in the fold of the organization, the Biden administration is turning its attention to Sweden, another long neutral nation that now wants to join the military alliance. Evan Gershkovich 
The Wall Street Journal reporter, who was arrested in Russia on suspicion of espionage, declared his innocence at a hearing in Moscow in his first public appearance since his detention. The judge denied Gershkovich's appeal to lift his pretrial detention. The Battle Ukrainian forces have been trying to push Russian troops farther away from Kherson, a city along the Dnipro River in southern Ukraine. Russian forces captured the city early in the war, then retreated from it in November. But they decamped just across the river from where they have relentlessly shelled civilian areas. Military analysts predict that Ukrainian forces could cross the river and attack Russian positions around the city once their anticipated spring counteroffensive begins. Already, there is evidence that small groups of Ukrainian soldiers have grabbed marshy islands in the river, though Ukrainian military authorities have not confirmed these reports. Russian troops are forcing civilians to leave riverfront areas, Ukrainian officials say, possibly in anticipation of a Ukrainian attack. The latest On Sunday, the Russians hit back, according to Ukrainian officials. They intensified their bombardment of the Kherson area, the Ukrainians said, blasting it with more than 400 explosives that brought down dozens of homes and killed at least two people. According to a statement by Alexander Prokudin, the head of the Kherson Regional Military Administration, the Russians used heavy artillery, drones and aircraft, hitting residential areas and a school. One of the dead was an 80-year-old man. The claims have not been independently verified. Russian authorities had not publicly commented on the Kherson strikes. Why it matters Ukrainian officials said Russian forces were increasingly desperate. Sunday was a major day of remembrance in Ukraine, a holiday when many families visit graveyards. Alexander Samolenko, the head of Kherson's regional council, said, The Russians know that yesterday was a big holiday and this was an act of terrorism. They are no longer trying to regain territory. They are losing hope. They understand they will probably have to leave this territory too and they shell us just to terrorize, out of anger and desperation. Near Kremina, Ukraine, the sound of artillery launching and landing along the front line punctures the stillness of the forest just a few miles away where combat medics are waiting to receive the wounded. On the horizon, a military vehicle moves along a dusty road and screeches to a halt when it reaches the trees. A soldier named Valentin parks it there for natural camouflage from Russian drones scouting for Ukrainian military positions. A group of soldiers, visibly shaken, quickly unloads three bodies that have just been recovered from the front line, placing each one into a plastic body bag and zipping it closed. Their position was shelled and then attacked by a drone, they say. They're shooting at you from all sides. You turn, you run, they hit you, and it's impossible to get away, said Maxim, who survived the attack. This is a big tragedy for us. One more body is left behind with the Russian soldiers, he added. While much of the world's attention has fixated on the bloody urban battle taking place in Bakhmut, Russia's campaign in eastern Ukraine is also raging in forests and fields about 50 miles north of the city, near Kremina. Here, soldiers take positions in trenches surrounded by tall, slim trees, crouching to avoid the direct line of sight of their Russian enemies. People say it's harsh in Bakhmut, said Valentin, who joined the army seven months ago. But it's harsh here, too. 
For the past month, Valentin has been stationed at this evacuation point, traveling back and forth to the front line almost daily to rescue wounded soldiers and recover the dead. His job requires him to drive directly toward Russian forces, and he has come under fire at times. There is nothing good about it, Valentin said. What is this war for? Ukrainian and Russian military officials have been reluctant to release data on casualties within their ranks, though the U.S. government and military experts estimate that both sides have suffered significant losses in the tens or hundreds of thousands. For Valentin, the work of responding to the casualties has been both grim and relentless. There is blood everywhere, he said, while cleaning it from his vehicle. It has a smell. Especially fresh blood. Bright red liquid trickled through his fingers as he rinsed out a bloodied cloth. He drained the cloth and used it again to wipe off the back seat. It's difficult to see young boys die, Valentin said. Sometimes I cry quietly. In calmer moments when there is no one to evacuate, Valentin travels deep into the forest to transport soldiers to and from the contact line, where Ukrainian and Russian soldiers are sometimes positioned just hundreds of meters apart. He said at least one group of soldiers couldn't make it to their position because Russian troops had already taken it over. Every day is scary here, said Victor, a soldier who returned with Valentin. I feel constant anxiety for our country and our lives. His stoic face reflected the fear and horror known only to those who had witnessed the fight in the forest. Authorities in the Russian-occupied Crimean Peninsula said on Monday that they had shot down a drone that was trying to attack the harbor in Sevastopol, home to a major Russian Navy fleet. According to Mikhail Razvozayev, Sevastopol's Russian-appointed governor, one surface drone was destroyed by anti-subversion forces and the other one exploded on approach. Everything happened in an outer harbor, no objects were damaged, Mr. Razvozayev said in a message on the Telegram messaging app. Now it's quiet in the city. But all the forces and agencies remain on alert. Ukrainian officials did not comment on the reports, which said the drone attack took place under the cover of darkness, around 3 a.m. local time. Sevastopol is the main base for Russia's Black Sea Fleet, which has repeatedly launched missiles into Ukraine. The Russian reports have not been independently verified. Ukrainian forces have previously launched sabotage attacks in Crimea, which was illegally annexed by Russia nine years ago, and Kiev is determined to take the territory back. In October, a huge explosion rocked the 12-mile Kerch Strait Bridge, a key link between Crimea and Russia. A senior Ukrainian official later said that Ukraine's intelligence services had orchestrated the attack. Russian forces are constantly building new defenses in Crimea, and military analysts predict that it would be very difficult for the Ukrainians to push the Russians out of the peninsula. When the Ukrainian social media influencer, Anna Tsukur, started building her business as a fitness guru several years ago, she made choices to maximize her appeal, focus on women, shoot in inspiring locations like Bali and, above all, speak in Russian. After Russia invaded Ukraine last year, she decided that as an influencer, her first task should be to try to influence people about the war, appealing to her Russian followers to protest their country's actions. The result, a stream of insults from Russians insisting Ukraine was at fault. 
Then she decided to ignore her own business model. She switched languages to teach in Ukrainian despite knowing that she would lose followers not just in Russia, but also in the countries that once made up the Soviet Union and where many people still speak Russian. I felt from my heart, she said, that it was the right thing to do to show that I support my people, Ukraine. Moscow's invasion last year has caused a cultural upheaval in Ukrainian society that has run parallel to the fighting. Monuments to Russian heroes have been torn down or defaced, and Russian writers, painters and composers, lionized for decades by the Soviet education system, are suddenly vilified in a process called derussification. At the heart of that transformation is language, with more Ukrainians, most of whom understand both languages, switching to use Ukrainian. The transition had begun years earlier, starting with independence, but accelerated last year. Like Ms. Zucker, thousands of influencers creating content about everything from children's games to beauty tips and from science to comedy switched to Ukrainian from Russian after the full-scale invasion, in many cases overnight, according to Vera Slavinska, a senior executive at Air Mediatek, an international company founded by Ukrainians that supports online content creators. Some have also drastically shifted focus, abandoning their original topics for videos that support the country's war effort. But by far the bigger change was the switch in language.